Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. We come to you over the air, and we're available on podcasts as well, wherever you get your podcasts. So you can check out Caregiver SOS On Air and share it with a friend or a neighbor. I'm Ron Aaron. We're delighted to take up a topic today with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, that we really need to spend time on, and that's the whole question of elder law, how to help caregivers, care recipients, and their families. Carol Zerniel is the past chair of the board of directors of the National Council on Aging. She has a master's degree in social gerontology, nearly 30 years experience in the field of aging and caregiving. She is one of Next Avenue's top 50 influencers on aging. And Carol is executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And Carol, money, it's a challenge for a lot of families. Well, it's an interesting topic because money also seems to bring out different aspects of people that we might not see otherwise. Uh, you know, it's always a surprise when we throw money um, or legal issues into the mix, which is why it's so important to have someone like Candace kind of point us in the right direction. And let me take a moment and introduce our very special guest, Candace Delacona. Candace earned her law degree from St. John's University in New York City, her undergraduate degree at American University in Washington, D.C. She enjoys traveling with her husband and their three incredibly busy teenage children, two girls and a boy. Candace uh, is a specialist in estate and trust planning at Offit Kerman in New York, and she works in the field of asset protection and planning as well, elder law, state administration, and a whole lot more. And Candace Delacona, in, in checking uh, your background, uh, after I Googled you, you do a lot of talks on exactly what we need to talk about today is that is what caregivers ought to know about caring for themselves and their family when it comes to elder law. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm so delighted to join you and Carol today. I think that one of the things that as caregivers, we're all desperate to seek is is information, right? I think the process of being a caregiver um, is rife with stress. Um, as Carol points out, when money comes into the picture and then you have a relative or a loved one whom you care for deeply requires your assistance, we sometimes are not our best selves. So I think it's really important to assemble a caregiving team. And generally as an elder care attorney, I am one of the people on the team. And what are the major issues that you find caregivers confront? You know, I would say it's several issues, Ron. And certainly I would start with, in terms of a, a caregiver, from my perspective, from the legal perspective, is ensuring that the caregivers have the proper legal documentation in place so that the outside world can identify the caregiver as the person that they are supposed to listen to. Uh, you know, the expression when there are too many cooks in the kitchen, I think that certainly can be the case when it comes to caregiving. And so it's important that uh, your your loved one has the proper legal documentation to indicate who they are in that person's life. And that would include a medical power of attorney and what else? 
Exactly right. So a medical power of attorney, in some states, we call those healthcare proxies. So we call them advanced directives, meaning it's a direction that you're giving to someone else in advance of maybe needing it. Um, so certainly the healthcare documents and the other document is a power of attorney for financial affairs. And how do you so get So let me done? ask you a qu- Go ahead, Carol. No, I was going to ask on the on. I think there's fear associated with the financial. If I do a financial power of attorney, does that mean that tomorrow you can go out and and spend all the money in my bank account? So that's a really great question, Carol. And you just tapped right into a fear that so many of my clients have, um, even when it's appointing a child whom they love and trust. You know, the question becomes, how do I make sure that this person is not going to take advantage of the position that they have and access to my money? I think the answer is, well, you don't, right? It is a leap of faith when you appoint someone. And certainly powers of attorney can be drafted in such a way that limits their access where it would be in a way that you wouldn't otherwise approve. But it is certainly something that you should consider when you're creating a document like this, who you trust and who you put in those positions. And that gets Can to I a, set it up? St- well, I'm sorry, one more, one more question. I'm full of questions, Ron. No, go ahead. <laughs> so can I set Fire it away. up? Thank you. Can I set it up so that it only takes effect if I'm not a clear mind? So that's a great question. That's generally referred to as a springing power of attorney because it springs into effect at the moment of whatever trigger you've created in your document. And in certain states, you can create a springing power of attorney, but other states you cannot. I'll tell you in New York, for example, the trouble with a springing power of attorney is many doctors don't want to indicate that you're incapacitated before a court proceeding. So you want to make sure that you have a document that protects you from the ne'er-do-well agent that you're appointing, but also is actually useful. Because if you have a springing power of attorney and no one certifies your disability, then it's as if you don't have one. That's a great point. All right, Ron, at last, I let you ask your question. Well, it gets really to what you've been talking about. Uh, There's a lot of uh, information on the Internet uh, where you can do all these documents without the uh, support of an attorney. I happen to be an attorney, and uh, I would counsel against doing it yourself. But I know a lot of people want to save the few bucks involved and do it themselves. What are the risks? So, Ron, you and I know as attorneys the risk in creating documents without the guidance of an attorney um, can mean that the document that you're creating is not effective or it's not effective in the way that you'd hope it would be. So I definitely tell people, having spoken to many across New York State, um, one of the things that you can do is you can reach out to your area office on aging. Many social service agencies will help you and walk you through the process if you don't have access uh, to funds to pay for an attorney, which I understand um, is a very reasonable concern, you know, as caregivers and as my clients who are aging are on limited incomes and they have their life savings. So they try to be very economical in the way they spend their money. So it's really important to reach out to your local social service agents, uh, agencies to determine if there are groups that can help you prepare powers of attorney and healthcare documents as a courtesy to you. And Ron, I think you're on mute or your mic is not on. Ah, you're right. (laughs) I was trying to avoid the background noise of a barking dog. Let me add, and Candace can edit this out, 
So I'll pick it up from here, Candace. For those of you who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Candace Delacona is our very special guest today in New York City. She is an elder law specialist. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, is here, and I'm Ron Aaron. And uh, Candace, uh, back to how to get these documents done. You mentioned the AAA, the Area Agency on Aging, and uh, that's certainly a great resource. For folks who want these documents prepared uh, for themselves, uh, what are the other documents that you would recommend they put together? So in addition to advanced directives, which, as we mentioned, are the powers of attorney for health and finances or healthcare directives, I think it's very important that people certainly have a last will and testament that directs where their assets go upon their passing. Um, And if they have the bandwidth to go a step further, many of my clients consider using trusts to protect their assets while they're here so that they can qualify for certain public benefits that will help them pay for the cost of their long-term care. And the trust uh, functions how? It keeps you and your funds out of, uh, uh, after you pass, that money goes automatically to those you designate? Yeah, so there are different types of trusts, and what you just referred to um, are sort of a universal qualification of a trust, which is avoiding the probate process. Those of us who were sort of in the mirror of of COVID and, and understood what a pandemic did to our court system, certainly here in New York, and I think across the country, uh, avoiding probate was something that was so important during that time because we didn't have access to our court system. So having a trust circumvents that process. But there are other trusts that in addition to avoiding probate, when you pass away, can protect your assets while you're here so that whatever the assets are in trust can be protected for your loved ones. And perhaps you might even qualify for certain public benefits. Talk to us a little bit about elder abuse and what you see Uh, from what I've read. Very often the abuser is the one closest to the care recipient. What are some of the red flags that friends, neighbors and, and relatives should look for? Yeah, I'm so sorry to report that I have a number of cases right now, Ron and Carol, involved um, in both physical and financial elder abuse. It's one of the most underreported abuses that occur in this country for a number of reasons. Um, In terms of red flags, I think the first thing that most of my clients have told me is isolation. And really what that means is being disconnected uh, to people, you know, that they normally would be connected with. You know, staying in touch is so incredibly important. The other red flag is seeing someone, you know, a friend or a neighbor taking sort of an unusual interest in an elderly person. Yeah, I think that's a great one that you pointed out. When when behavior changes, when somebody's not acting, either the person, the older person, it starts, you know, used to dress nice, now they're kind of crumbly, um, or you see somebody else acting differently toward them. I think that's a really good call out. Yeah, thanks, Carol. I mean, that's certainly a common thread with all of the cases that I have here in New York City. Well, you know, I had... Go ahead. So uh, recently, I had two different families that had similar situations, but they they had different endings. In both cases, there were multiple siblings and a parent. And in both cases, one of the siblings went and had the parent re-sign um, everything over to them. 
Uh, and in one case, that person did get everything. And another one, uh, the rest of the siblings ganged up and, and got it changed back. So, you know, what, what do you do if you realize that someone is exerting pressure or influence on your loved one, whether it's a you family know- member or external? Sure. I mean, I think one of the first things that anyone should do where they suspect that something like this this may be uh, going on is to have a conversation with the elderly loved one and really try to get their thoughts on what's going on and how they're feeling. I think the other thing that you can do is to consult a geriatric care manager. I'm a big fan of geriatric care managers who are professionals. As you know, Carol, they come into the family situation. They can parse through details and really understand the family dynamic. If it is in fact have happening within the family, within you know the siblings, the children of the loved one. How do you find one? It's a great question. Yeah. So care manager. Yeah. Geriatric care managers um, are actually licensed therapists in most cases. Uh, I think the best place to start um, is reading reviews on the Internet, believe it or not. We have a number of really good ones here in New York and reviewing their credentials, asking for recommendations from other families that that care manager may have helped and also getting referrals from your physician and your care team. Generally, when you have a geriatric physician, uh, they can make excellent referrals. We're going to come right back to you. If you've just joined us, this is Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our very special guest, Candace Delacona, and our co-host, Carol Zernil, is with us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. We're so pleased you're sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. We're talking about elder abuse, elder law, and ways in which caregivers and care recipients can be protected and protect each other. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and our special guest, Attorney Candace Delacona, is with us. She practices law in Nueva, New York, the great city of New York, and is an (laughs) elder law and estate planning specialist. And Candace, we were talking a bit about elder abuse, and and you indicated you've had several cases. How do those cases come to you? You know, all all different ways, Ron. So, you know, one of the cases that come to mind almost immediately uh, was uh, a daughter of uh, an elderly man um, who herself was quite credentialed and had a very close relationship with her dad. And her dad had a significant other of a couple of years. And so the daughter had a lot of trust in this person. And this person, unfortunately, moved herself into her father's residence and slowly started taking over his banking and his physical apartment to the point where he had no familiar belongings in his apartment by the time the daughter regained access to the apartment after the COVID epidemic was over. That's so sad. 
It's so sad. I think the statistics, Ron and Carol, are that one in 10 elderly people are abused, which is really mind boggling if you think about it. We were talking about red flags, what to look for. How do you prevent it? You'd rather it not happen. Well, you know, in terms of of prevention, I think, you know, contact is really important. I think setting up a strong team um, to surround your maybe more vulnerable loved one to ensure that the right people are in the roles that they should be. Um, And that includes trustworthy people as it relates to finances, um, whether it's a really good accountant, uh, a good elder care attorney, a money manager if necessary, or if, you know, the elderly person relies on family members, what are the family members' strengths, right? I have three kids and I know that, you know, one of my kids may be excellent at record keeping, but not so great speaking with doctors. So really, who's on your team? I think that's the the way to go with prevention, if possible. I know, Carol, you had some experience working with doctors who were caring for your mom and, and your aunt. That can be very challenging. Well, it can be. Um, And, you know, for for caregivers, you have to kind of plan in advance for the visit um, and really have those top questions or concerns at the first of the meeting with the attorney. Just the same as if I was going to meet with Candace and talk about, you know, the legal issues. I really need to start with the big things first um, because I know Candace and and what Candace won't say about herself is that she's going to be really good at teasing out all of those other little concerns that I probably haven't even thought about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think there are there are so many ways to approach it, right? I think that, you know, as caregivers, um, one of the things that I've tried to tell my clients is, and their children is don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, if someone seems to be more involved or they're having dealings in, in areas or avenues that you didn't anticipate, I don't think you should be shy. I think you should advocate um, for the for the loved one and know that, you know, there are these signs um, in terms of, you know, whether it's physical abuse or emotional or passive, we call it neglectful confinement in the elder law world, you know, which is maybe as Carol ref- for, referred to before, withdrawal from social activities, someone who was always playing cards with their friends, you know, as they their memory is impaired, perhaps they play less, but are they still interacting with those friends? Um, are there change in sleep habits? You know, is there depression there that there wasn't before? And then in terms to like the physical part, you know, obviously you look for, you know, the the weight loss and you look for hygiene issues and making sure that the person can independently manage his or her symptoms. And if they're not being managed, what's going on and how can we help? Right. And, and I, and in listening ahead, to you, girl. yeah, in listening to Candace talk about it, you know, we have to, we have to look at a full spectrum, uh, you know, cause a, a person, you know, may decline in some areas and that might be normal for whatever disease, chronic conditions, medications that they're on. But there are some things that aren't normal, like personality never changes, right? There's, unless there's something going on cognitively. Um, So you have to look at those things across the spectrum and say, in this condition, in this situation, does this ring true? Or is there something that really strikes me as off? Yeah, I think that's great advice. And Candace, you know, a whole lot of folks will say, you know, we don't have a lot of money. We don't have much property. So so what do we need estate planning for? Well, I mean, I think you have to think of estate planning as 
uh, planning that you do before you die so that everything is neatened up after you die. And whether that means protecting your own agency and dignity while you're alive um, or making sure that your stuff goes where it should when you die, I think it's really important. You know, particularly if you're choosing people in a healthcare proxy to speak for you and advocate for you, it's so important you have, you know, that document available and the right person is chosen to play that role. And likewise with the financial issues, and we just talk about financial elder abuse, there couldn't be a better way uh, to advocate for yourself, to make sure you're choosing the right person. So you don't necessarily need soup to nuts. It is not one size fits all from estate planning. Everybody has different needs. I think it's really important to find an attorney that understands what your needs are um, and make sure that you can obviously afford those services. And if not, then you turn to the social service agencies to get the basics in place. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you have people who come to you for estate planning and let's say mom or dad has Alzheimer's and, and they want her or him to, to sign off on these documents. All the time, Carol. And, you know, one of the things that as an elder care practitioner uh, that, you know, my colleagues and I talk about all the time is who is the client? And really going back to the question of who is the client? My client is not the adult child. My client is the senior. So I have to make make sure that my client can articulate his or her wishes in a way that I am confident that they are working with their own volition and they are making the decisions. Um, so, you know, for me, one of the things that I always go back to is do my does my client understand what we call the nature of their bounty, who they want to benefit from them? And when you get into the areas of powers of attorney, we really do have to go through all of the powers that we're giving to the other person. And I have to be confident that my client understands that. And have you ever told someone it's too late? Um, mom or dad doesn't understand what you're asking them to sign. I have. And, I, you know, it's happened <clears throat> on a number of occasions. Um, listen, it's, you know, it's certainly a hard thing um, to say to people, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with sort of where you are and in terms of your ability to perhaps grasp or understand the breadth of this document. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is, Carol, you're as a healthcare professional, you know that capacity can wane, right? You know, there are people that have good days and bad days. And so, you know, depending on the document they're signing and depending on the condition they're in, just because they're not great today doesn't mean we can't try again tomorrow. Um, but there are cases where it, it is too far gone. And in many states, the next step is guardianship or conservatorship. Yeah. And we do talk to our caregivers that are caring for someone with dementia, that the sooner the better, you know, you can, the person can have dementia and still be able to execute documents, Definitely. but you don't want to wait too late where you have to set up guardianship. That's a, a much more arduous process. It is. And it's really emotionally arduous as well. I had a question about uh, the right person to select for your medical power of attorney and your advanced directive. The folks have said to me, doctors that I know, uh, when it comes to people who have expressed a wish that there be a DNR, do not resuscitate, that very often if they've picked someone close to them, a loved one, a spouse, a son, a daughter, uh, they don't want to honor that DNR, that you're better off getting somebody else for your medical power of attorney. What's been your experience, Candace? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Ron. And I don't think there is a perfect answer. I think that when deciding who should serve as your healthcare agent, it should be someone who will not substitute his wishes or her wishes or judgments for yours, right? You want your words to move through that person. So by the same token, you don't want a shrinking violet either. You want someone who's going to advocate for your care providers, whether that be the doctor, the home health aide, or the nurse. You want to make sure that your agent has enough uh, sort of gumption to advocate for you, but not to the point where they're advocating over what your wishes should be. Now, for folks who might want more information, do you have a website where they can get some more background? Absolutely. You can check out our website, which is offitkerman.com. And there's a link right in my bio. You can just click on that. And I'm happy to answer questions. Um, our firm is in a number of states. Um, so we're happy to connect you uh, if you're outside of New York. And, you know, at the very least, you can always contact your local bar association in the county in which you reside to find an elder care attorney that can help you. Any last word you want to toss our way? I just think that it's really important that you plan now. You know, the time is now before the next pandemic. Um, and better you to make the decisions now when you have a clear mind than be in a position of panic or crisis and doing planning during a crisis. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much for Carol Zerniel and for our special guest, Candace Delacona. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Thanks for having me. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. August 19th, Lil Baby presents it's only us, Tony. Made it out the trenches, this type of life I At Target Center, get ready for an epic summer. Lil Baby's IOU Tour has finally touched down. It's Lil Baby live in concert featuring Glow, Glossa, Rilo, Raw, Dream, and Honcho. Tickets are on sale now at AXS.com. Brought to you by Mammoth Lot and AG Touring.